Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Good morning to you, and... Uh, it just doesn't get a dull moment in our world. So looking forward to this chat again. Yep, never. Every single week, there's a lot of activity. Now, we are still around this area of regulation, and I just want to throw some ideas out for everyone to sort of put into context what's happening here, because there's a lot of noise and not necessarily a lot of clarity. So for a start, since since the SEC's first action in July 2013, the SEC's bought a total of 127 cryptocurrency-related enforcement actions. Um, and in December 22, they comprised 82, up to December 22, they comprised 82 litigations, 45 administrative proceedings, all using a 90-year-old law. And now in 2023, they appear to be trying to make variations to that law by setting precedence from the policing system of the SEC. So I wanna take you back for a moment to what Americans hold so closely and dearly, and that's the constitution. And I wanna to talk to you about slavery. So slavery was officially banned in the United States with the passage of the 13th amendment to the US constitution on December the 6th, 1865. The 13th Amendment overturned the legal basis, had a legal basis for slavery that had been established by an earlier set of laws and regulations, including the 1787 Northwest Ordinance Law and the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which required citizens to assist in the capture of slaves. Those laws were in place, lock solid, the real thing for 112 years. But clearly, they needed to change with more modern and moral needs of the US society. Nitin, I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I can be to hear about this. <laughs> so, the US, so the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 was established in the United States on June the 6th, 1934. The act covers a wide range of securities, including equities, and is administered by the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC. The purpose of the act was to provide greater transparency and accountability in the securities market, and it established various regulations related to securities transactions, disclosures, and exchanges. The law is now 90 years old. It has no mention, strangely enough, in this law relating to cartography, cryptography. It has no mention relating to decentralized autonomous organizations decentralized algorithm-driven exchanges, high-speed global fungible currencies. In fact, one would have to say that these laws 
are still getting forced upon us and giving guidance to us after 90 years. And one has to realize that its creators probably could not even imagine in their wildest dreams the concept of decentralized autonomous organizations and cryptographic algorithm-driven decentralized exchanges. So why is this damn law still the law that we're stuck with? Why are we seeing a 1934 law determining all of the future of digital assets? I think that's the question I wanted to ask today because there's a lot more behind this than just that. You know, as you know, when you drive cars, um, especially if you race them, you sure as hell don't look in the rear vision all the time. Because if you're looking in the rear vision mirror, nasty things are going to happen. I just sense that the Americans are looking in the rear vision mirror here. They're not looking forward. What do you think is happening? Yeah, and you know, Derek, uh, we had Sam last week and I spent some time in researching as I always do in terms of understanding. I did actually make a trip to speak some, to some of the regulators, both in terms of the folks with the US Department of Treasury looking into how they view this industry in general. So let's address a few things, right? One is that the 90 years law that you talk about has done well so far in the sense that it introduced and induced transparency to the system. It has you know, clarity in its enforcement, clarity in what's expected, both from the investors and the investees in, that, in their instruments. And, and that brought a lot of capital because there was transparency mm. in the system. Mm. And in absence of any legal framework around the newer technology, newer asset classes, newer sort of structures like DAO that you mentioned. I use the word structure because it is a autonomous organization, which means it, it is it, it has a purpose and it has a mission and it has a, maybe in some cases profit motives and it mm -hmm. needs to be dealt with as a structure. And so I think, and I, I look back to 2022 with all the, what I call as crypto contagion of incompetence and a lot of people have lost their money and one of the mandate for SEC is around investor protection. And one thing you'll find that we always chastise SEC, but essentially they're, they've been giving those tools and you're yes. sort of going in terms of regulation by enforcement in absence yes. of a legal framework that addresses. So yes. I actually go back to lawmakers around the world to say, hey, if you don't have a legal framework, then uh, it's not Gary Gensler and his sort of cohorts, both in CFTC and other adjacent agencies, uh, to craft laws and they have to enforce right. laws what's in the books and they are stuck with what they have and they have to make, make the best of it. So there's a little bit of truth to that, but there's also the fact that many of the DAOs, at least 90% of them that I've evaluated and looked into are not exactly DAOs. They are held by centralized entities. They have potentiality of intervention and, and they adhere to all the requirements of the law. And again, in absence of any digital asset, meaningful digital asset um, legal framework, uh, they are treated like the, the laws that were de designed and devised 90 years back. But there's another angle which is oftentimes ignored because SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, is being vocal to protect investors in terms of ensuring that they're doing this both in terms of the regulatory hammer that is their mandate, but also in terms of what the industry has labeled as choke point. Choke point 2.0, mm. where you're looking at the banking system preventing access because we discussed in the show where the stable coins have come in as a liquidity instrument, bringing the real world assets into the crypto assets through the stable coins and through banking on ramp off ramps. 
And one way is to also address that into can we stop that? And you'll find a lot of sort of nod from the, the banking regulations. This is the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, CFPB, the OCC. There's a whole gamut of these agencies which have discouraged banks for only to be able to protect um, the consumers given the fallout in 2022. And there is some truth to that element to say, hey, let's, let's understand this before, again, there's no real framework. What is interesting, which I completely agree with in working with Treasury is, there's an agency which is a combined, a combinatorial agency called Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council or FFIEC. It's an integrated body that comprises of five regulators. And these regulators includes the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, which is again, the, the, Fed, the Feds as they call them, Federal Depository Insurance, which looks into the prudential treatment of assets, which is the insurance mechanism. So the, in, the, the, the your deposits are protected. The National Credit Union Administration, which is going to protect the credit unions and the deposits there. The OCC or the Office of Control of Currency, which looks mm. into the risk framework of banking, and the CFPB, which is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which looks into this sort of frauds and everything else. And one of the tasks of these agencies, including the US Treasury, is to ensure the financial market infrastructure. This is basically the bare bones rails, the technology infrastructure, the internet that governs you to check your accounts and the wires that go through the, the Visa MasterCard rails, we use the word rails as it moves the money across these systems. They have to be resilient. They have to have the right cybersecurity protection against them. And one of the fears is of this industry is not just the SEC mandate, CFTC mandate is what is an asset that we protecting investors, but it is the protection of the cybersecurity infrastructure in general, which, which ensures that if this were to be the next generation of the financial market infrastructure, which is going to support the DAOs, which is going to support these, whether it's securities or whether it's tokens or whether it's coins, is that protected enough from not just the foreign players, but also is it resilient enough that if the economy begins to depend upon it? And I think that that is the right mindset for them to look into, do we have the right governance and controls? Your Visa MasterCard works all the time. There's a reason for it because the government requires the banks and financial institutions to, to make that investment, both in terms of talent, in terms of upgrades of the, of, and this is not just true for banking, it's true for your other infrastructures that are in the system, uh, which is energy grids and transportation networks. Uh, and so again, the famous uh, issue that we had a few weeks back where our FAA systems were down, uh, there's a mandate to fix it. Of course, the government being dysfunctional and slow but it's an old system and, and that's a national security concern for them in general. So I think it's, it's not just Gary Gensler as the villain. I think it's the general sort of framework that needs to be understood. Uh, and I agree with this whole infrastructure. If, if you have economies dependent and the US is still the world's largest economy and we still enjoy the, 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 the US dollar as a world reserve, it's imperative for them to maintain this infra infrastructure resiliency and the risk that's imposed the infrastructure needs to be addressed. I think that's missing. That narrative is missing. It's there because I did go to DC, as you know, and we had this heart-to-heart -heart conversation with these folks who are truly interested in low-level protocols that me and you talk about. This is the interoperability and the risk of bridging and how do the assets move and what if we have to move the assets to foreign entities and foreign wallets. There is surprisingly a lot of interest and a lot of knowledge in these agencies, I just think they're lacking 
a governance framework, which is yes. what governments are meant to do, yes. right? And so I think to me, we are spending way too much time with Gary Gensler. To me, he's a cop. He's going to, he's going to do what he's been tasked with. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the bigger element, which in many cases, even the SFC in Hong Kong, MAS in Singapore, they're doing smaller experiments. The Project Guardian in Singapore, for mm-hmm. instance, is a brilliant step in my in, 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 in that day to understand the resiliency of infrastructure to say, can we use public blockchains to move tokenized assets? So I'll take a pause, Derek, mm. and love to get your thoughts. And I think, and love to hear your story because we, in preparation for this uh, chat, you talked about your story in aviation that you actually forced the, the, the industry to change the regulation. Maybe that's the path we take and tell us your story on that stuff. I think that's something which we, the, the, the industry could learn from and force uh, the powers to be to say, hey, we've got to rethink differently about this, about this industry. That was back in 1992, we did that. And it was with a company called Eagle Aircraft. And we were producing very advanced three flying surface carbon fiber aeroplanes at the time. And they met a set of criteria where they were no more than about 450 kilograms in weight. And so they could actually fit into an ultralight category. And these ultralights were made of really, we used to call them cloth and bowling wire. You'd sit on a poco stick with a plastic chair out the front and hang onto a stick and you'd do 60 kilometers an hour. We were wrapped in a carbon fiber Kevlar cockpit designed to impact on, you know, designed to survival for the, the actual pilot and passenger um, and, and cruised at 120 knots for three and a half hours with reserve. Such a quantum jump in technology. But guess what? The regulations were there for ultralight aeroplanes. Everything else had to be general aviation, which really were these aluminium driven dinosaurs that were still flying up in the sky and we were producing advanced composite aeroplanes. So we looked at that and thought, well, our future is at stake here. So we, we took on the Department of Aviation, which we used to nickname Dead on Arrival. We took on the Department of Aviation and we fought them in the newspapers. We fought them in the parliament. We turned around and said to them, you state that the ultralights have the right to fly and die. That is not what the Civil Aviation Authority or DOA is meant to do. And so therefore, why not change the regulations to actually catch up with the technology that exists now? That was in 1992. And now when I've taxied that airplane down the runway 30 years later plus, um, I now see that there are advanced composite airplanes, grobs, diamonds. These are all different aircraft makes that are made out of Europe. Um, and they're all in carbon fiber and advanced composites. And they're getting, they're flying under the sports aircraft um, regulations that we put in in 1992. This is what has to happen in this industry. This industry has to turn around and say, well, that's great, wonderful 1934. I think my granddad was born then, but that's not what the regulations need to be. The regulations need to be up to date with an advanced composite airplane and make it relevant so that the people are safe in it. And, and I'm hoping that's what we'll see. And you can hear in my voice the frustration because I've been here before fighting regulators that have intent to protect domains and not actually genuine interest in the, in the interest of, of the greater community. And I think this area of cryptocurrency is so global that even America, which is a giant, is taking a backward step and is going to be out, out of pace with the rest of the countries um, around the world. And 
that would be a shame and all it will do is slow the community down for a period of time. It won't stop it. And then they'll be behind. But there's also a thesis, uh, Derek, where uh, all these agencies and all their sort of uh, heads have always compared this regulation to car. Exactly your point that when car begins to speed and we had better quality, we had to mandate speed, you know, your uh, seat belts which saved lives. Yes. yes. Uh, they looked into the baby seats, which saved lives of the kids and the babies. And my argument with them is, yes, you proved the point. So where is the seat belt for the industry? Where is the baby seats? What have you done to have an analog of that in this industry and as opposed to simply uh, applying these elements? And, and I think some of the heart-to-heart conversations I've had with some of the, uh, again, uh, the officials is, even if we were to implement these regulations, can we enforce them? Like how effective are the things that are happening that with this age of true digital nomads being able to live anywhere and do anything, uh, how are we able to not only, and it's not about taming, it's about harnessing and leveraging the technology innovation in this space. Can we not do that stuff? Or are we are we going down this path? And I think to me, uh, that that conversation has been, has been super, interesting with them and and it's i think time will tell and there's been all kinds of stats in terms of constant consistent decline in developer ecosystem around DeFi in the us where they've been looking into measuring the developer ecosystem and it has declined from 2019 to today at like 28 percent and at one at its peak it was like 35 percent so it's been a consistent decline every year in one of the reports that that i that i went through and i was like what is the impact of that does it mean innovation or are we uh, are we so hung up on protecting the dominance that we have in our financial system that we're losing sight? And there has to be some common balance. So there has to be some sort of middle ground, I think, in this in this whole element. I mean, not just this, but but like I think the recent sort of proposed regulation around investment advisors, where you know uh, this is again portal asset management is a hedge fund, and we have different sort of thesis. And in U.S. perspective, which was largely the investment advisory and or the registered investment advisory with larger part of private markets, which is a little bit more uh, free and open and not confined to the same level of regulatory scrutiny that securities were, are suddenly tasked and required to use a qualified custodian. And for many of you don't know, qualified custodian is not just technical qualification, it's basically a licensing, licensing sort of apparatus that's needed to run this, which means you have to be essentially a bank and have the right potential controls and fiduciary responsibility that you have to maintain. Now, with that in mind, it's not an exchange that can custody your asset. It's not a typical prop for trading firm. While they have all the technical capability, it's certainly not the custody tech providers. The question becomes who? And the traditional qualified custodians are simply today are capable of custodying one asset class or two max mm. Bitcoin mm. Ether. So what happens in the industry? And that to me is, Again, you're proposing a, 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 a rule which is in its own sense meant to curtail the growth of the university, I mean, uh, growth of the industry. Mm. And that is not, I think, right. I think they should just take this a step back and understand what, what a meaningful uh, regulation is and what a meaningful enforcement is in that context. So why are you applying a different rule for private assets which doesn't exist for existing asset classes? So why do you have to apply a new rule for crypto. Yes. So meanwhile, in Switzerland, um, where 30% of nearly all of Europe's wealth is now, it's estimated that 30% of Europe's wealth is in Switzerland, 
that has its own currency, that has its own um, global investment strategy and treasury, they're looking at cryptocurrency very positively. They're looking at how do you build cryptocurrency out, what CBDCs, what are stable coins, what sort of what sort of banking system can be placed upon cryptocurrency? Why are they doing that? I think they're doing that because they are independent. They're independent of the USA. They're independent of Europe. Um, they're yeah. part of the international monetary system because that's how it has to work. But they're seeing themselves as being important and independent and forward thinkers. Um, well, sadly, I think that's what America needs to see itself as not independent, but forward thinkers. It needs to see itself going, all right, so we are the global currency at the moment, but there's no question that in time that's going to change. And so how do we provide ourselves with a major position globally with maybe a CBDC or something equivalent like that and, and have that launch globally? Um, and off the CBDC, then we also need to have all these other infrastructures and technologies. Let's be the leader of this space, not the trailer of this space. That's not what's happening. From my no, viewpoint, not. what's happening is that there is essentially they're turning around and saying, hey, this is a threat to our financial system. Our banking system is worth a lot of money. They've lobbied us. They want us to stop this. Out comes an executive order in March last year um, to say all the departments need to get together to stop this. Um, and the SEC is our policeman to do it. It's very backward thinking. How do you think? It is. And I just think so. I, I'm, I no longer subscribe to this whole let's educate them narrative. I just think that either it's the change and it's we the people for the people mandate to say, hey, if our, if we all feel so strongly about it, can we educate the masses and for them to understand what's at stake here, right? Both in terms of uh, our technical sort of the, the, uh, the US technical supremacy, both in terms of talent, but also in terms of frameworks and structures that allows you to have ease of business, which is sort of losing ground in many different yeah. cases, right? The ability for me to just open a business and right now any crypto business is under sort of, uh, you know, implied attack uh, because of these sort of regulatory sort of pressures. And again, for a business to stay in business, you need payroll, you need banking account. And, and if you're not able to open a bank account, you're sort of, your growth is curtailed, right? Um, so, so some of leave. these are systemic. Yeah, you leave and you go and find a jurisdiction like Switzerland or Singapore, where you have, and Singapore, as there was a KPMG report, where Singapore had the highest amount of of fintech capital and fintech. Um, I'm including crypto in that in that same breath uh, ever in, in in history of the country, as wow. well as the history wow. of the highest amount of investment capital has gone to Singapore. And I believe a part of that is because of you know, a cautious but optimistic approach that MAS has taken in providing structures like sandboxes. And to me, for the audiences, uh, it's promising because uh, traditional financial institutions can do experiments on public chains with certain guardrails and certain limited. So you're not actually, again, uh, risking everything. You're taking small steps to understand the changes and implementing your product based on those, those, those learnings. And that is progressive. They have not outright banned, despite uh, 3AC and many of the early days, uh, early 2022, which were housed and headquartered in Singapore. They haven't necessarily taken that as a, uh, to the other extreme in, in having a drastic draconian measures around, which I think is the approach we should take. And, mm. and, and I'm, again, I, I just think that we should, it's now lobbying effort is now going back to we the people to say let let people then 
you know, vote with their with their thinking to say we need to preserve that. Except that crypto is not exactly a mainstream issue, uh, and you don't have the appropriate vote banks to be able to drive that conversation until it becomes mainstream issue at some point. Yes. I think. But the industry is still reasonably well moneyed, and so therefore it needs to be able to lobby um, and put its point forward to Congress and to Senate, so that so that we see the lawmakers make laws. Um, and that's that's yep. going to be its challenge along the way. Um, from a sort of a, a positive note um, in, in this space, uh, you know, you, you're seeing other countries now take the opportunity. You're seeing advancements in India um, and, and utilisation in Vietnam, and you're seeing this become very much an accepted way of holding money, transferring money, moving across borders, et cetera, around the world, not in devious manner. There's nothing devious about, you know, having, mm -hmm. having Bitcoin um, in your account when you're moving from a war-torn zone of, of Ukraine into Poland um, and you're trying to get across the Polish border and start a new life. Um, that's quite a fair human thing to do. Um, and you can't do it with 10 kilograms of gold in your pocket, should be you that lucky. Um, and so, so th therefore, you're seeing nations, um, you're seeing nations like um, uh, South Korea, um, Singapore, Hong Kong, and of course, China overviewing it, sitting there going, well, how do we etch out an advantage here? How do we create the best of, of this new technology? And we just leave the US behind if they're not going to um, look at regulating. Are you seeing that happen too? No, I, I think so. Look, uh, we had ETH Denver last week, and I should yeah. we should spend some time on that as well. It's it was just amazing innovation, amazing energy, and you know mm. ETH Denver and Denver uh, is one of my favorite places because I'm a hiker, and you have the 14ers, and you have these amazing mountains and and snow capped mountains, and this is a great time to go because it's change of season and it's it's perfect, and you know it's not exactly New York or it's not San Francisco, it's Denver, right? And mm. Denver has mm. its own charm. And suddenly this Den ETH, Denver ETH, or ETH Denver, for instance, has ballooned to like 24 to 40,000 people showing wow. up in this in this wow. town. So it's it's amazing energy. And yeah. And I didn't go to De ETH Denver this year because prior to prior week I was in DC and after that I had to go to Puerto Rico. There was a VC DAO conference, another amazing sort of innovation happening where they're trying to create DAO of VC structures which is again, innovation happening in Puerto Rico still happens to be US territory. And ETH Denver, you know, was amazing because you had these amazing energy and the developments and utilities led by these, you know, massive culture and counterculture and community interested in everything from wallets to services and changing, even though the industry is still not an inch towards maturity, but there was a lot of things that the industry is, is enthusiastic about Mm. about shifting and changing in in from uh, from privacy preservation to scalability to gaming and art it was fantastic the energy and i i was keeping up with my cohorts who were there my, my companies that i invested into and 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 some of the technical leaders and people i know and their twitter feeds and chats and uh, the, the the telegram channels so i've been consuming all this stuff it was like it was just like being there um, and except that I felt I did have for the first time, Derek, I'm not a FOMO kind of guy, but I did feel uh, for the first time of so many years that I should have been in Denver. But a few cool things that happened. And again, this is innovation. This is happening in the United States. And, and I think that this is the energy 
that we need to leverage on that you yeah. had the element of privacy pools and zero knowledge rollups and privacy pools is interesting because if you recall early days the the tornado cash as a mixer which was sanctioned by us government was there because it is obfuscating transactions and that was a problem in some cases and rightly so because you had north korean hacking groups and some of the rogue actors using that to to launder money and and use that for nefarious activities privacy pools is really there to address two elements one is still have privacy preservation but not go it towards obfuscation of transactions and that to me is best of both worlds how can i still do what i want to do and still not still be able to uh, surface and that was to me was again i need to read up a little bit more on how that's done because oftentimes privacy preservation and obfuscation is counter to transparency which blockchain talks about and touts about and and many of the analytic tools re- rely upon them to surface financial crimes that is an innovation which i think is fantastic and that's something which you can use not just in blockchains and crypto ecosystem but outside of that ecosystem second thing which i thought was interesting was account abstraction so you remember this whole notion of not your keys not your asset you lose your keys mm-hmm. um and so the innovation that again i read a little bit more on this stuff but i i've looked into this in terms of how they've implemented this standard called ERC4337 uh which basically is deploying a smart contract called entry point which allows you to be able to use that a, new, a, a abstracted wallet to move an asset and that way you know you're still able to recover in case you're you know you lose your keys you're still able to have some recovery mm-hmm. mechanism because now you have two different layers so it's mm-hmm. like you losing your password but resetting your password to still have access yes, to your yes. your accounts right i think it's fantastic that way you're mm-hmm. increasing more user base around the world yeah. that people don't get clunky with there and it's tied to your ens which is uh, a name so if i know derekgram.eth i can send money to derekgram.eth and don't have to worry about this you know yeah. crazy 256 character uh, alphanumeric thing for wallet addresses for instance um a lot of innovation in web3 uh, because of the twitter fallout and and linkedin and many social media sort of falling short of of their promises and challenges the lens protocol which is from the ave founders uh a lot of approaches in terms of social media ownership and ownership of your data which is a three web three conversations so i think all this stuff starts with ethereum but nothing confines itself to one layer one protocol mm. because just like we've seen at bitcoin uh we we do need to spend some time at, at, you know, later on this is ordinals which is bringing nft with some unique yes. inscription techniques mm-hmm. nothing stays in one ecosystem it it it's permeable it transfer to other ecosystem and that that innovation and energy is simply fantastic and on a on a more lighter side uh, they wouldn't be denver without uh, i i seen this on 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 a lot of posts people have that that all the toilet papers in many of the locations where you had the conferences were sbf toilet papers so you had sam mcmanfreed's picture on all the toilet rolls <laughs> and i think oh that that, that is funny and it's innovative <laughs> and it's uh, you know it's it's uh, you know um on, on a lighter note i want to buy that online <laughs> can yeah, i buy that online is, i want some <laughs> it is fantastic and in fact one of the conferences i went post ico they had all the ico papers in a to- i still have that as a souvenir kept on my table all the ico white papers in form of toilet rolls because they were called they were shit coins essentially so they all had the all the papers are printed on all the all the i failed as your projects or failed in this this thick toilet roll which i thought was fantastic maybe that's the that's every the theme that surfaces 
every so many years. And I, I will say this though, two more things before I pause, that there was this, even in, in Puerto Rico when I was there, there was this sense from the venture community and the liquidity that's chasing projects that don't use bad tokenomics to hide a bad business model. Mm. At the end of the day, you need to have a business. There has to be utility. People have to mm. use it. No longer it's about, let me build a community before I begin to monetize it. I think that mindset is shifting also because of, of the fiasco that we saw in 2022. And there's an adage, there's an old age old adage, which says in bear markets, enterprise blockchain surface every time. So this notion of asset tokenization or tokenization of real world assets is back in business because crypto is down and the thing can we use the same tech to tokenize ETFs and market gold and bonds and, and traditional securities and everything else because it has regulatory clarity as an asset class. Can we use the tech and can we use the tech? So I think some of these are interesting, meaningful, innovative conversations. Is this happening in the United States and happening around the world too? The question I would ask is how do we harness this energy and mm. this innovation and not stymie it with just blanket regulatory enforcements, which I think needs to be thought through. And it's, it's we the people that can only solve this, I think. So I'll yep. pause here. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Eric. Agreed. Agreed. Look, it is simple. The price of progress is the pain of change. And if the USA doesn't want to change, then that pain will be kicked down the, the line and it will be a lot more painful at a later date. In the meantime, you're getting these great money centers like Singapore, Hong Kong, Zurich, Geneva, London, that are forward thinkers and that are creating guidelines for this industry to be able to thrive upon. And money moves fast and it moves where, you know, fear is a big driver of it. So the money will go there. And, uh, and so in our case, Portal Asset Management, our chief investment officer, Mark Witten, has moved to Switzerland. And we're going to be based out of Switzerland because we see Switzerland as being so progressive um, and the Swiss investors being very progressive too. So that's just an example of it. Um, and I think the decentralization of this industry will mean a lot will leave the USA. In the meantime, I do hope that we start lobbying like we did back in 1992 when we lobbied to get the regulations changed so that safer and more effective aeroplanes could fly. And now they do. There are hundreds of them flying around Australia. And, and I, I, you know, I think everyone plays a role in that. No, no absolutely. And, and I think we should continue to, to drive and educate some of those elements that are in this, you know, and both as investment community, as technologist, as new projects, new innovation. Uh, you know, I think this momentum needs to continue. Uh, both us playing a small role in educating our audiences and our investors yeah. in that space but also bringing the real reality of these things, right? That not every project is gonna make it, make it, but we need to be able to have a, have a rubric that allows us to be able to navigate through this, that, that is everything stymied by, by, by regulation or can we still continue doing some of these things? Which I think social media is a really interesting project, but everything that we do in Web3, everything that we do in crypto is thing of value. So if you're relying upon SEC, CFTC or any such, uh, parallel agencies around the world to start labeling these tokens. Well, that's, you lose the battle before you start the journey. And we have to think about this a bit differently. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm spending time doing both in talking to cohorts, talking to scientists, 
my own network and saying what is the right way to deal with it and i think it's you know it's it's exciting at the same time um but it is exciting. you know so i think we're coming to the end of our session today um and and i've got to say we've had three sessions now on regulation um, and so our next session going forward is probably if any updates that are happening on regulation, but we'll probably spice this up and change this topic along the way. The important part of what's happening at the moment in the industry. And for those that are listening, those that are capable, those that are engaged, those that know how to write um, an email, maybe this is the time to really, you know, put your points of view across points across other areas. And with that, make a difference. Uh, I think we all can. And, and as we say regularly, fortune favours the informed. So let's stay informed about it and share it with our audience. Thank you, my friend, indeed, for another Thank you, Derek. Session. Yeah, I love the theme, by the way. Fortune favours the informed. That's going to be my mantra for the, for the rest of the year. So I'm going to inform myself and take the liberty of informing my cohorts and colleagues and, and audiences. So good to, good to be here with you, Derek. Always Wonderful. good to chat with you. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.